0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Get
1: ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady.
2: A Netflix live event happening May 5th.
3: this is the rich eisen show he cared about one thing and one thing only win time winning championships trophies in the case we'll figure out the money later on live from the rich eisen show studio in los angeles oh okay then
0: you put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable earlier on the show lsu football head coach brian kelly coming up lakers writer for the athletic bill Orham from the hbo series winning time actor solomon hughes and now it's
3: Rich Eisen. Our number three of the Rich Eisen show is, in fact, on the air. Eight four four two zero four. rich number to dial if you'd like to have a conversation. Uh, we've got a lot of Lakers uh, stories going on around here in Los Angeles. We've got Lakers on the brain um, for our number three. Solomon Hughes, the actor who plays Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the hit HBO show called Winning Time, based on Jeff Perlman's book, on the Showtime Lakers, uh, he will be here uh, coming out in about 20 minutes' time. Can't wait to chat with him. Um, but uh, the, re- the, <laughs> the difference between <laughs> the past and present and reality and what's not real um, couldn't be more stark right now as um, the Lakers miss the playing tournament. And normally when you say that, of course, that means they're one of the top six seeds in the Western Conference. But it takes some doing to not be one of the 20 teams to have a chance to win the Larry O'Brien trophy once the regular season is over. It takes a lot of doing. And normally you got to purposely tank to get in that spot. And I proffer to say the Lakers did not do that. They, they earned every uh, last bit of their being on uh, the couch. And uh, here to talk about it from the Athletic, man who covers the team and uh, has written uh, so many terrific stories and columns and opinion pieces on the Bill Oram from the Athletic here on the Rich Eisen show. How are you doing, Bill?
2: I'm great, Rich. Thanks for having me on.
3: Okay, so uh, why why did this happen? <laughs> why?
2: Uh, you know, I think hubris comes to, as as kind of the the first reason. Before we start unpacking injuries and you know, kind of the, the malaise of the season. But there was a real arrogance that I think the Lakers had coming into this year that you could, you know, you could tear down a roster and put 11 new guys around um, three superstars and that it would work because you're the Lakers because you have um, the best top end talent in the NBA in LeBron James and Anthony Davis and that that will work. And um, even if you go back to the preseason, the Lakers were very uh, casual about things. They went 0-6 in the preseason, which, you know, in and of itself is not a, a an indicator of where things are going, but they also did not look good. Um even when it was like Russ and A D were on the court in the preseason, that did not look good at all. Um the supporting pieces didn't look good. And when I remember talking to Carmelo Anthony early in the year and he's like, listen, it might take us all year to figure it out, but it's okay. We're veterans. We can we can use the season to, you know, be playing our best by the end of the year. And that was sort of the mantra of this team the whole way through. Except for you never saw them getting better. You never saw them moving toward becoming a better team by the end of the year. And obviously injuries played a huge part in that. The Lakers didn't win consecutive games, however, until the last two games of the season from January 7th. So mm. that's three months that they couldn't put it in gear for more than one night at a time. So um, tons of reasons. I mean, everybody has a share of, of the blame. Frank Vogel already, um, you know, paid the co- paid the price. But, um, you know, there's a lot of reflection, I think, to be done within the Lakers, not just from, you know, how rosters are assembled, but to how decisions are made, who's calling shots, um, you know, what they want their identity on the court to be, because that has changed every single year LeBron James has been here.
3: Well, I mean, you mentioned LeBron. Let, let's just hit him right off the bat here. When he says the season was not a failure, what do, what do you think he means by that?
2: You know, I, you know, I think he means it in a very abstract way, which was everybody, you know, competed, everybody was, you know, trying hard to, to make it work. But, you know, he's just wrong. I mean, it's an abject failure from any, any measure, right? I mean, you play to win championships. You play, you know, Rob Palinka sits at a press conference and they bring in Russell Westbrook and says the Lakers are obsessed with winning championships, winning their 18th championship. So not even making it into the, the postseason to have a chance uh, represents a failure. Um, I think LeBron is basically saying the failure was out of their hands. You know, when he misses... 26 games when AD misses nearly half of the season, um, you know other guys who were hurt and in and out of the lineup. You know you can't blame the team for not winning when they weren't on the court together. But you also had a team that was heavily dependent on players over 35 years old. You had super high expectations for a guy like Trevor Ariza. You um, you brought in a third star, Russell Westbrook, who even if you thought you knew something that everyone else didn't. The prevailing, you know, take around the league was that that was not a good fit for Russ. That that was not going to work, and that the Lakers made themselves worse by trading, you know, two or three, depending on how you feel about Montrezl Harrell, really valuable role players plus a first-round pick for Russell Westbrook. That was not a surprise, when that did not work early in the season. Um, so, you know, it wasn't just the injuries. This was a team that was not going to um, achieve the success by their own standard of success, um in almost any situation.
3: So um Westbrook yesterday too, Bill Orham was talking about his relationship with Vogel. And is it just as simple Vogel didn't want him? Because he was talking about needing to prove himself to a coach that clearly knows Russell Westbrook's game and his resume and what he brings to the equation. Um, and wound up, if I'm not mistaken, leading the team in minutes played and mm-hmm. and games and things of that nature. So he did get out there, even though there were times where he was benched. What was the 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 Vogel Westbrook relationship that might have been the the heart of everything that we're talking about right here?
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the best ability is availability, right? So Russell Westbrook played in you know, but until they shut guys down at the end of the year, he'd only missed one game all season. So he was, you know, the guy who was going out there every single night. And, you know, as losses mounted up, whether LeBron, AD were in and out of the lineup, the guy who was out there kind of at the front of it every single night was Russell Westbrook. So I understand why he feels like, you know, a lot of this got pinned on him. But, uh, you know, I without knowing this directly, I would I would interpret that it is fair to say that Frank Vogel was not happy that Russell Westbrook was added to the mix. Um, you, you had you had a really awkward basketball fit from the beginning. And so Frank Vogel was asking Russell Westbrook to adapt his game in ways that he had never had to before to fit on a team with, with LeBron, who's going to be the the predominant ball handler and Anthony Davis who also needs the ball in his hands. And Russ was going to be need need to do a lot of things that he wasn't used to doing screening, spotting up, um, getting out of the way, um, playing off ball. um, And that really was a, a really awkward, you know, uh, sort of, uh, grow, there were growing pains. And Russ, you know, you know, he said yesterday that he's never not done what a coach asked him to do. You know, my coaching sources said that Russ was very reluctant to do a lot of the things he was asked to do, that he was not receptive to feedback, that he wouldn't look at, at the clips that, you know, he was given to sort of uh, help him along the way. So there was a real divide between what the coaching staff was wanting from Russ in an effort to make this, you know, sort of fundamentally clunky fit work and what Russ felt he could do to actually help. And, you know, that's why I think the Russ problem was, was so, was so dominant because if you're Frank Vogel and you've only got 24 hours in the day to think about your team or think about making your team better, how many hours those are being spent on Russell Westbrook? You know, 15, 16. (laughs) (laughs) So like, and at some point you have to sleep. So when do you think about the other issues? How do you think when do you start thinking about rotations, when do you think about, you know, Avery Bradley, Malik Monk, um, you know, Austin Reeves, and this is not to say that, you know, Frank Vogel didn't do as thorough of a job as he, as he could. I believe he did. But I think that there was so much time spent trying to untangle the Russell Westbrook mess that that, you know, took energy away from, you know, finding solutions to the other issues the Lakers
3: encountered. By Bill Oram of The Athletic here on the Rich Eisen Show. And as we turn the page to start focusing on what's next, I'll just read out the headline of your latest um, story or column, if you will, on The Athletic that I suggest everybody read. Lakers' shameful handling of Frank Vogel should be warning to potential replacements. I give you the floor on what that means, Bill
2: so it's it's it goes deeper than um, the way Frank Vogel was fired, which I hated hate 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 hated that um, it was first reported basically at the buzzer of the Lakers final game of the year, which by the way was a pretty you know feel good moment all things considered um, you know the the players hadn't even left the court yet, and there was a report that Frank Vogel was going to be fired and would be informed as early as Monday um, I hated that. You know, Frank then had to go sit in a press conference room and answer questions about that. I hated that um, that he wasn't didn't hear it directly from his superiors first. I hated that it took away from the night that guys like Mac McClung, Austin Reeves, Malik Monk, uh, Mason Jones, guys who got a mo- their moment in the sun, be, kind of because of this season, that 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 they had that opportunity to kind of have a little bit of shine from their head coach taken away from them. Um, so I, I, And I just really hated that Frank Vogel was left hate- kind of flapping in the wind for about 12 hours before he was finally fired. You know, had to fly home with that report hanging over his head and, and no clarity. I don't think that's the way business should be done. And whether it was directly the Lakers' uh, intent to have that reported then or not, in my opinion, um, once the decision is made to fire the coach, you as the organization or as the general manager in Rob Palenka, um are the custodian of that information. And so what happens with that information until it gets delivered directly to the coach who's going to be fired is your responsibility. And the Lakers, and to wit, Rob Polinka, failed, and I think really embarrassed the organization with the way that went down on Sunday night. But to the broader point, Rich, um, the Lakers have really not valued coaching uh, going back to the end of, of Luke Walton's tenure. Uh, and it goes, it's bigger than you know, whether you think Luke Walton's a good coach and should have been fired or whether Frank Vogel's a good coach and should have been fired. Um, you remember when the Lakers hired Frank Vogel, he was their third choice yes. at best. They tried to hire Teron Liu, um, who balked at the idea of a three-year contract, felt like that was beneath him. Monty Williams also was not picking up what they were putting down in terms of years and commitment. But Frank Vogel was a guy who was, you know, had been fired in Orlando. It was coming off of two losing seasons in Orlando. And he was willing to take a three-year contract. And I think we kind of think of that as a make-good deal. Like, you are... You know, you are kind of somebody who's willing to take a little bit of a lesser deal for what, you know, po- coaching the Lakers could potentially uh, net you. And Frank Vogel made good on that, and he won a championship in his very first year. Um, could have been coach of the year, I think that season if 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 awards were voted on, um, you know, at, at, you know after the bubble, I think it w- I think he probably would have been the coach of the year that season. Um, and to me, it just. Uh, uh, you know, that earned, that, he did not get a contract extension that, that, that offseason. He coached the Lakers the next year. And then at that point, he's up for a contract extension. He's coached the best defense in the league the previous season. Uh, and the Lakers gave him a one-year contract extension. A one-year contract extension in the NBA might as well be your walking papers. It's not, it's not a vote of confidence. It's not a, um, it's not a show of support. It doesn't, um, it doesn't tell your locker room that we believe in our coach. And to me, I think that dug the ground out from underneath Frank Vogel from before this season even started and sent the message that as soon as anything went awry, he was expendable. And that's why you started hearing, you know, murmurs about Frank Vogel losing his job as early as November. Um, if the Lakers had believed in Frank Vogel more and given him more support, you know, a coach who is, you know, fundamental to the organization or central to the vision of the organization. Um, can survive down years or injury laden seasons, and that's where the logic of all this sort of, um, you know, doesn't doesn't track. If it's the injuries that derailed the season, then why are you firing the coach? If it's the roster construction that derailed the season, then why are you firing the coach? And the answer is because you know somebody needs to take it, and in this case, uh, the guy who didn't have doesn't have a lot of years left on his contract, it very intentionally, uh, has to take it. And so, listen, the Lakers. Or a prestige job, they're going to have guys. They're they're going to be candidates who want it. But I do think the Lakers have to do some serious reflection about what they want, what kind of destination they want to be for coaches. Um, if they want to keep getting, you know, coaches who are sort of outside of the of the the top tier of of candidates, coaches that they can push around a little bit, coaches who will acquiesce to being told who is going to be on their staff and having Rob Palinka and Kurt Rambis in their coaches' meetings. They can go find you know those those sorts of candidates, and then those candidates should be prepared to be treated poorly and fired in two or three years. Mm. Um, but if they want to really take a step forward as an organization, they will step up the support they give their coaches, the autonomy they give their coaches. And the, and, the, and the security they give their coaches. And that has just not been their philosophy uh, in the Rob Polinka's uh, tenure as a basketball executive.
3: Well, I mean, that's, I think you're kind of hitting on that, Bill, as we wrap this up here, is like who's going to be making the decision, um, right? I mean, there's Jeannie Buss, there's Rob Palenka, there's, as you mentioned, or the people who are referred to around in this town as the Rambi, both mm-hmm. Rambuses, right? Um, then you have LeBron, who um, I, one would think, You know, your colleague Sam Amick uh, there at the Athletic saying that LeBron would be (laughs) the Athletic tweeting out LeBron James would be very enthused by the prospect (laughs) of Mark Mark Jackson landing the job. Is that his way of telling everybody this is who um, at King James would give the blue check mark to? And then how does that all work together,
1: right?
2: I would I would say that you know LeBron did not get his coach last time around. By the way, Ty Lue was the preferred candidate of of Camp James and. Um, you know, LeBron never, never threw the Lakers under the bus for uh, bungling that, that, that coaching search, uh, at least, you know, from LeBron's standpoint. So I'm very curious to see how, how much uh, weight his word carries this time. So you would think a lot. Um, but, you know, all those pieces you're talking about, the Lakers would describe it as, um, you know, collaborative, right? That everybody has a voice, everybody's a stakeholder, and that makes it, you know, a great place to work. And I think other people, at least on the outside, and I know of some people on the inside who feel this as well, this way too, where it's too many cooks in the kitchen and there's a lack of structure, a lack of organization, and ultimately a lack of accountability. And that is where I think the Lakers have, have really gone um, most, have kind of most uh, strayed in the last, you know, I mean, really, I mean, to go all the way back to um, the passing of Dr. Jerry Buss, who, um, you know, who, who left this to his, his children to kind of carry on.
3: So, I guess, um, last last question is, what's the timing on this? And I'm assuming, as well, whoever's coming in, that it's the same roster, right? I mean, like,
2: what... what oh, yeah. Why, why would you break this team up, Rich?
3: No, but I'm serious. But, no, I, I'm, I'm the reason why I'm saying that is you already hear LeBron say, you know, just 21 games for me, AD, and Russ. And, you know, even though there were 11 and 10 in those 21, I assume he, he just assumes you give them twice, three times as many... Uh, cracks at it. They'll be better than one game above 500. He's this is, season's not a failure. I think he part of him is sitting there thinking the injuries really did him in. Like he wasn't available, and so um, I'm assuming right. Like they can't move Russ. That this is the the way it is. Whoever comes in, you're going to have to do a better job of figuring out this this mix than Vogel did. I mean, you right?
2: can put, a, you, can put you, you can put a you can put a, a new paint job on a car that's broken down. The car isn't going to drive any better. I I think I think LeBron is sort of polishing the narrative on the season he's putting behind him you know i don't think that if you had you know, gave lebron james truth serum and you said do lebron ad and russ work together for next year should that be the direction of this team i do not believe he would say yes i think that lebron james will, will actively work behind the scenes to um help rob polinka uh find a way to uh to 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 relocate uh, Russell Westbrook. I don't think Russ will be back. I don't think Russ wants to be back. And I don't think, despite what LeBron said yesterday, LeBron wants him back either. I think there is a very clear understanding that this was a partnership that did not work out um, and and needs to and needs to be uh, addressed. So I, I think I think you will see LeBron and Anthony Davis back next year. I think those are the pillars of this organization. Um, I think that you know the Lakers would love to have a third star. Um, I think that they learned that it's not going to be Russell Westbrook. Or, or, so I think it, in what, in what, by whatever means necessary, I think it will not be Russell
3: Westbrook. What do you, hypnotize Leon Rose? How do you get rid of Westbrook? What do you do? I
2: mean, I do, I do think that you, like, there are, I mean, Russell Westbrook is a an expiring contract in the NBA, in, in a league where that really matters. And not only is he an expiring contract, he's a huge expiring contract. So if you are a team like Indiana or Charlotte that has a couple of guys who are under contract for three Three years at twenty some million dollars a year, and you are not trying to win right now. It makes no sense for for Charlotte to be playing paying Gordon Hayward even even better. It makes no sense for Charlotte to be paying Terry Rozier twenty some million dollars through twenty twenty five. Like that is not their timeline. That doesn't make any sense. But what you can do if you're Charlotte is you can package Rozier and go Gordon Hayward for Russell Westbrook and maybe a draft pick because the Lakers are desperate, um, and you suddenly have that forty seven million dollars in cap space in the summer of twenty twenty three. Um, and that looks like it fits your timeline a whole lot more. Mm. Same with Indiana. So I do think that that, that expiring deal is more valuable than um, we give it credit for or when we talk about who would want Russ. I don't think anyone wants Russell Westbrook at this point. I think there are very few teams that look at him as the player that um, that transforms a team into where they want to go. But that contract becomes very, very appealing. Um, but the problem is everyone in the league knows the the situation the Lakers are in. And so I don't think, you know, so I think a team like Charlotte or Indiana could then, um, you know, force the Lakers to, to include a pick as well. And then, and just because of, of the desperate situation they're in. So the Lakers are going to be at a disadvantage in trying to come off the Russell Westbrook deal, but I do think it can be done.
3: Bill, thanks for the time, man. Let's do this again real soon. I have a feeling this my is pleasure. going to heat my, up. Thanks for the call. Thank you. And the for knowledge, Bill Orem. I'm smarter for that conversation. Hope you are yeah. too. We go from cap space for the Lakers to cap. Man who plays Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in Winning Time. The actor Solomon Hughes, live in studio when we come back.
0: Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com.
3: Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets Solomon Hughes uh, of HBO's *Winning Time*: The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. Here on the Rich Eisen Show on HBO and HBO Max, our terrestrial radio audiences returned. Solomon Hughes, who plays Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, is here. First time you saw yourself in the goggles in the uniform, did you have the same reaction that I did? Which is absolutely. Like, oh I mean, God. the
1: makeup and the hair department, just the work that they did. I mean, every. I mean, pretty, I mean, everybody that had a part of this project just brought their a-game and so you know when i walked into the trailer and saw the wig i was like i had this moment of like reverence and then of course you put the goggles on but it was just i mean it's just from from top to the bottom it's just the 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 details that people paid attention to is just it really made it so much easier to get to step into the space of being this this great character,
3: and uh, I assume you were like the rest of us, and and, and I didn't play basketball at Cal like yeah, you did. Yeah. Reverence for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar oh gosh, from from right. birth, right? Oh, I mean,
1: absolutely. I mean, I mean, he's like like the prototype, right, for which when when you're thinking of a dominant center. And so, you know, growing up in Southern Southern California, the Lakers were my team, and he was literally the center of that of that mm-hmm. universe. And so, um, so it was. The other thing is as a, as, as an actor in trying to embody the confidence of such an incredible basketball player was fun and very challenging. Cause I might, you know, when I played, I was like anxious and terrified. And so like <laughs> stepping into like just his dominance was, was also something pretty special. Well, the so.
3: first couple of episodes of winning time. And when we see you, you hardly say a word, right? right? Yeah. Like, it, you, so, so you're acting without actually speaking, right? You know, certainly yeah. the scene where Jerry West comes to find you <laughs> meditating right, right. Um, and reading, yeah. looking over the right. Los Angeles landscape, right, exactly. to inform you as Kareem that Magic is—he's going to put him down in the post, <laughs> right. and he's going right. to take all the elbows instead of you. Exactly, and yeah. you don't—you hardly say a word to him.
1: Right. I mean, which is—you know—you you, take what, what is—they it? say it's like you know, thirty percent of communication is is actually articulating something with words, like using your vocal cords. Right. And so, um, right. There's there's so much of, of just his presence, right? He's, he's thoughtful, he's soft-spoken, um, but he just, he he communicates so much with just his presence and his body language. And
3: so, is this yeah. true that, is this your first acting job, Solomon? This
1: is yeah, my first professional acting job. It is, yeah. yeah.
3: How did they find yeah. you?
1: <laughs> so, uh, Francisco Elson, who played basketball with me at UC Berkeley and mm-hmm. played with the Spurs, won a championship with the Spurs, a casting agent had reached out to him mm-hmm. um, in 2019 And Francisco's in the Netherlands and he wasn't interested, but he mentioned, he suggested me. And so the casting agent reached out to me and, you know, honestly, Rich, I I tell people right after I graduated from college, I Mm -hmm. moved down to LA and I had two goals in mind. I was going to pursue a professional basketball career, but I was also interested in acting. And so I went as far as meeting with a talent agent and Mm -hmm. it was, it was like the most dismissive meeting I've ever had. I mean, it was like the guy so clearly articulated that I was wasting his time. And so like literally that, like the door shut on my face. And so... I'm, I'm someone who has always had a fascination and an interest in the space um, because film and TV and theater have had such an impact on my life personally. And so um, so when the audition opportunity came my way, I was just excited to just put myself out there and just, you know, get an answer, yes or no. You know, this is like after years of just like literally looking on Craigslist for opportunities huh. in local shorts, like this was at the very least, I get an answer. And so, yeah, after two auditions, I, I found out I got the part and I was like, what? So, yeah.
3: how did you approach playing Kareem then when you were trying to get ready for such an important audition? Man, for you know, like
1: you- literally, like just, just I, 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 I liken it to how I prepped for writing a dissertation, right? Just like the ultimate research process, just like pouring myself into everything. Watching all of his interviews, I mean, we're 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 blessed that we're in the YouTube era, right? Where there's lots of footage that you can you can draw from. But I mean, I've been reading the stuff that he's been writing about himself since I was a kid. You know, mm-hmm. Giant Steps is one of the first big books that I read growing up. Is that right? And so yeah, and so um, and you know, his 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 documentary Kareem: A Minority of One, which is, it's incredible. I feel like of the people that are part of this project, I, I I definitely benefited from someone from Kareem being pretty generous about how much he shared about his life.
3: Because so. yeah, I I, I don't. I, I heard that you had reached out, and and right. um, he was not terribly right. interested. I don't right. think many Lakers of that era are terribly interested. In- right.
1: Right. I mean, I've I've gotten the opportunity oh, to meet then. Jim Jones, and okay. he was awesome. He was in Cleveland with us. Mm-hmm. Um. Obviously, got to meet Norm Nixon, and yes, well, because
3: <laughs> Devon yeah. has been in that chair, right? Exactly. And yeah, playing here. his dad.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. In right. It's kind of crazy. Right. Yeah. And so, so yeah. I mean, I you know, I'm I'm hoping that with time, you know, people will see that this project this 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 uh this story it's coming you know it's coming from the hearts of like real deal fans who have so much admiration for just how they literally changed sports
3: And, and i just love all the touches we we talk about it all the time all the the touches from the way it's shot and the way the communication between the uh you know the characters goes down and sometimes it's real and we wonder what's real and what's not and just just the little touches about the pop culture part of the era right, i right. when i saw you dressed as the kareem in the pilot in airplane <laughs> with the kid next to him right. like they got down every fat right. like look at it on the screen right there like that's that's it and that's you're dressed in right, as-
1: right. the same cockpit same cockpit come on that real that's the same cockpit that the uh they shot airplane in. Yeah.
3: They got the same cockpit <laughs> same for this? Cockpit, right, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That line where you tell your dad to drag Walton and Lanier <laughs> up the court, <laughs> right. you
0: know. And exactly. well, yeah. then afterwards, <laughs> you're just like, bleep off, kid. You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And that kid was so great. Landon Gordon, such an incredible actor. He's great. We had a lot of fun that day. I
3: yeah. mean, that looked just that was, like that it. Was awesome. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, just seeing John C. Riley walking around his bus. I mean, you just bust out <laughs> laughing a little bit sometimes. You know, it's, or it's I mean, everything.
1: I mean, from Adrian Bodie to Jason Siegel to Jason Clark, it's like, you know, you, you. I definitely had maybe a month of just like the fanboy stuff where every time I saw them, I was like, you know, do I say hi? Do I not say hi? Right. And then, you know, then you're colleagues and you're working together. But yeah, I mean, just the, the amount, to your point, the amount of detail that, Hair and makeup and set design put in it just it's really fabulous.
3: Yeah, I mean the yeah. forum too, just to see the right. forum like it's back in the right. day, exactly. and just to see um, you know uh, the, the outfits and the cars right. and the the, the, right. the stuff of the era. Right. Um, Solomon Hughes here, who plays Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the Rich Eisen show, and so you spent time as a Harlem globetrotter as well. And that
1: <laughs> happened. Okay, I played thirteen games, so I but I I guess I qualify because I went through counts. the training camp. So yeah, that counts. 13 that counts. Yeah, it counts, yeah, it counts. Yeah. right.
3: So it was. It By the way, I have not played one single game of poker. Just in case, the generals, no. <laughs> that be more so, rich as well. Not at all. I was did. not I was a general. I was in anything. I've been to Washington, but and I've been to Harlem, but I've, and I've been around the globe. Um, but other than that, so yeah. what was that like so for you? They,
1: I, I don't. I don't think they do this anymore, but. Uh, in I guess it was 2002. They they put together a team that would play exhibition games against college teams in the preseason. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I think the NCAA, like, changed the rule around that like a few years ago, where now you just can play other colleges. Mm-hmm. And so the team it basically consisted of former college players who aspired to play pro ball and former NBA players. And so yeah, it was I mean it was it was quick. It was 13 games. Um, it was the the training camp was. As brutal as as anything I've ever done in my life, and exactly. a lot of the former uh, NBA players who are playing with the Globetrotters are saying, "Yeah, this is this tough uh, training camp we ever, ever, ever as we have ever seen." And I think part of it was they just wanted to see who could last on the road because if you because the idea was you would go from that team to then playing on the team that would do the the performances and the tricks, and so so I, I made it thirteen games and then I was. I was done. So.
3: You were done. Um, done. And what happened then? I mean, did you? Is that, is that when <laughs> well, you got your, like, you went to get a degree? Is that where, or you already had your doctorate I, I, well, from? No, from no, Georgia? no. I,
1: I, I feel like, you know, it was, I, I just, I think I'm the guy that was 6'10, had some talent, but was really playing basketball just to make some money. And so I feel like it was a good life lesson to learn pretty early that you never pursue something just for the money. You need to have some underlying passion. And so um, I think that was like a crash course in, uh, are you doing this for the right reason? And so leaving that, I think it just, you know, I, cause I mean, I did have aspirations to play in the NBA and I, and I got as far, I, I, I tried out for the Phoenix suns summer camp. And so when you know, there was that? That what? was 2003. And so uh okay. didn't make it. They were polite. They, On the ride back to the airport, I was like, okay, I think I need to start thinking about other, you know, uh, ventures or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. that's when I started thinking about grad school and going back into the realm of education. Okay. So
3: you're technically a doctor,
1: right? I do have a PhD. You're Dr. Hughes. Yes. Okay. But you can call me Solomon. That's okay, Okay. (laughs)
0: That's cool. Not like Doctor Buss, who preferred that everyone Dr. Would call him Doctor Bus. Dr. Bus. <laughs> I got to tell you, man,
3: I moved out here to L.A. and I saw him at Dantana's one night. Really? With two highly age-inappropriate people. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, you know, and it was it was you know wild, cool, everything. Because Susie was covering the Lakers right. at the time, and I look at her, and she's just like, "Yep, this is what goes on around here in Los Angeles." And okay. and um. It's just wild to see this whole thing on television yeah. like yeah. that, you know? Um, what would you want the real Kareem to know if you could, Solomon oh, Hughes, about yeah. what you've learned or yeah. what you want him to know about oh, how you're playing You know, or-
1: I, I, I think the, the learning, right? It's like, I, I think I when, I when I was prepping for this, I'm like, I'm, an, I'm a Laker fan. I'm, I've been a Kareem fan since I was, I was a kid, so I feel like I know a lot about him. But mm-hmm. just, man, just the journey of his life right? Just the paths he's taken, just the way he's let his intellectual curiosity go him in different directions. It's just, he's, it's, it's, it's a tremendous life. And, um, and I know I'm one of millions of people that um, are just really grateful for it. I mean, honestly, like I think of me stepping into this professional acting space as me resisting the one dimension of just being the tall black basketball player. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I just I, I know I'm one of many people that just has a ton of gratitude for him um and and the work that he continues to do I mean the Skyhook Foundation I just think it's a brilliant organization I love what he's doing with that so I just I feel like his just all the ways he's he's showing up in these dis- different seasons of his life and so and then and then ultimately, ultimately you know I hope he gives the show a chance because it's really a labor of love you know for everybody just every day just put into the pot their best effort you know and and and, and we're, you know we're getting good feedback about the show because the the beauty of a show is it's not just a, it's not just 60 minutes you get time to tell about the the multiple dimensions of people's lives and so um so yeah i'm hoping with time people will uh will give it a chance
3: what's the one mannerism of his that you think you've picked up which one so you i follow?
1: you know he's you know the his pace of speaking when he's you know when he's when he's trying to talk to a young magic johnson he's thoughtful he's deliberate you know mm-hmm. so or just a little bit of the the just the the, the the movement of the hand. So I think I've
3: gotten okay. So. Yeah, I thought I do You hear the, your voice just oh, yeah. changed? So just <laughs> right. went into your just went down. Okay, oh. so then so then let me ask this question: Are you more more proud, Solomon Hughes, of you picking up his mannerisms or nailing his skyhook in these scenes Ooh, while you're attempting man. the skyhook? Because you know that's that's big. That's Great huge. Great question. If you're going to attempt yeah. a Kareem skyhook, you've right. literally
1: got to look like that. <laughs> right. So what do you got? I d- definitely have to say this guy, but I'm not going to say that I nailed it. I think only one person nails it. And that's the great cream. <laughs> because, you know, right. Yeah, but I yeah. mean, right. Right.
3: you do, though. I mean, yeah. you're you're a, a guy who's played the sport and you are somebody who I'm sure is a perfectionist when it comes to that. And you just told me you were grinding when you were playing, like you were really in that. So you have to see when you're watching that back, and they show a skyhawk, You got to be like, okay, that was good. Yeah,
1: for sure, for sure, definitely. It's rewarding, especially when it goes in. So on the day, so when we shot the that Clippers scene, yes, there were some scenes where I was shooting it in height shoes, which. The high shoes, essentially the sure. platform shoes. Yes, and it was it, it was wild. I mean, but you know, you, I was like one of those things where you really had to focus in. So, yeah. isn't
3: that amazing? They have to put wow. you in in mean, platform right. shoes, like three four inches taller like, than me. You're six right. ten, right? Right. Because
0: right. I, I'm seven two, right? I don't know. Yeah.
3: Um, we've had Bobon here, and I think he's the tallest guy we've ever had in this studio. Kareem. But yeah. When Kareem was here, I was truly concerned <laughs> that he would scratch his head walking through the studio here. <laughs> right. You know, and I thought it was. I'll just say it. I don't. Uh, I hope I'm not embarrassing you. Like before you go on the air, you sat down. Like Is Kareem sat in this chair. Right. Oh no, exactly. Right. <laughs> I,
1: I, I've watched that interview multiple times for sure. Yeah. Oh great, yeah, we'll yeah, take definitely. that. Yeah. I was
3: pretty cool. Uh, Solomon, how
0: did you find the training camp? Because when De- Devon Nixon was here, he was telling us that it was pretty, oh, yeah. pretty grueling. It was to get grueling, ready. for yeah. sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm the vet. I'm 43, right? So I'm out there with 20 year olds, right? And they're you know I'm trying to keep up, and I and I think I did a pretty good job. But it, it was I, I did my you know as much as. I was excited about the stuff. My body afterwards was like, "You need to slow down, old man."
3: What so, well, are yeah. you? Are, are you a method actor? Where you made Quincy Isaiah truly bring no, you orange no, juice every day, no, or not at all. six in the morning? No, okay, no, no. <laughs> with his new, with the newspaper, <laughs> right? Right? Like,
1: no <laughs> chance. Walk through that? Yeah, I, I feel like what I, I really benefit from the genuine relationships that are developing off screen because I feel like it then just creates an atmosphere where. You know, going into the moment, you yes. trust each other and you love each other and you can just, just really lay into it. So
3: it's great. Uh, honestly, we're enjoying it uh, immensely. You
1: guys absolutely. are. Yeah. It,
3: you, I, are you like us? Are you watching on Sunday night?
0: And so like,
1: my wife is making me watch. She's making me watch. Yeah. And I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. What do you mean she's sure. making you watch? You know, it's, it, I mean, it's, gosh, I, I'm like, uh, uh, the, I'm the timid guy that doesn't even like watching old basketball clips. So like watching a, a full on performance. But the great thing about it is, it's, it's, uh, Essentially, everybody was kind of in silos when we were filming, right? So it's so cool to see what other people were working on um, and see how they're, they're editing it and putting it together. And then sure. the music, which is just so great. Oh, it's spectacular. Yeah.
3: It is. And that, you know, awesome. picked up for season two already. Yes. Congratulations yeah, on that. Yeah. So I am mandated to ask, even though you know you strike me as a very positive, glass half full guy. But I'm from New York, so there is a little bit of spite in me. Have we revisited uh, a conversation with the talent agent that gave you no time? <laughs> I we, forgot his we, name.
1: I, I forgot his name. Come on now. I think you he used to Billy Blanks. I think I heard that. He, um, like he's, the Tybo guy. The Tybo yeah. guy. I think. Yeah. Yeah. He, so th- see, he discovered Billy, or I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, yeah. but this guy
3: who gave you no time and made you feel like garbage, that you had no future, right. we need right. to revisit him yeah, Well, there's a
1: part of it, it's like, the, if I forget the name, then I don't say the name, and then give him any credit, right? It's like, you know, go on, be blessed, you go your direction, I'll go my direction.
3: I understand, that's the high road, I take a different approach. <laughs> Screw that guy, is what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. No, I got that all the time, trying to trying to break into right. business and trying to get sure. on TV yeah. and, I, I, you know, um, traveled around uh, parts of the country just knocking on doors, leg- literally knocking on doors of yeah. news directors to say, hey, um, I'd like you to hire me when you have a job open, and I felt like garbage. One guy, uh, I even he, I got doors slammed in my face right. like I was yeah. cursed at one, by one person yeah. and I would love <clears throat> to find every last one. <laughs> and how do you like me now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, that's yeah. what I would love for you, man. Yeah. But,
1: no, you know, th- to that point, Rich, I, 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 I definitely Definitely can relate to that a number of instances of people like you don't belong in this space right and so one of the things that i'm most grateful for with this experience is just how welcoming like the the seasoned actors were i mean they you talk about like they created a culture of belonging and mm. i and i really think that that helped us really perform well you know like to, to a man adrian brody jason siegel jason clark john it, gabby Hatley, et etc like Everybody and just and the, the producers, the directors, it was like it really was. Uh, we're welcoming you in, and we fully think that you can contribute something. And so, yeah, it made, That's made awesome. a huge difference.
3: Yeah, we, we've had Michael Chickless on here a handful of times, too. The fact that he so, plays man. Red Auerbach, he's got to be so out good. of his mind <laughs> <laughs> that he gets to play because he's such a mass hole, And I say that with love. You know, he's great. The show's okay. great. great. Congratulations, you. Solomon Hughes. Yeah, anytime nice. you want to come back here, you awesome. know. Let's do it again. Congratulations to you you and all your success. At Solomon Young Hughes on Instagram, right? Did I get that right? right? Okay, very good. Um, Season two has already been, uh, it it now is out there in the ether. It's coming back, which is great. Every single Sunday, 9 Eastern time on HBO, available to stream on HBO Max. Winning time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty. The man who plays Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Solomon Hughes, thanks again for coming here. Thank you. We'll wrap up this show in a moment. Get you set for the rest of the week. Back here on the Rich Eisen Show we just had Solomon Hughes who plays Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and for our terrestrial radio audience during our commercial break uh, for you during our Peacock and Sirius XM segment we just showed a soundbite of Jeannie Buss when she was here in the summer of 2018 telling a story about how she met Magic Johnson the first time as a 19 year old when Magic went to her father's house and she answered the door and he told her that he was going to be in LA for three years and then go home and play for his uh, hometown Pistons and uh, she then told her her dad that, and he goes, don't worry about it. The first minute he steps on the floor at the form, he's never going to want to leave, which sounds exactly like the Jerry Buss character we see that John C. Riley plays in Winning Time, except Winning Time, when they had the moment that Magic first met Jeannie Buss, it wasn't in a house. It looked like it was in an apartment. A condo, yeah. And it also was a moment she answered the door and Magic comes walking in, Magic did not mention wanting to go home and play for the Pistons in the scene. As a matter of fact, in the scene, he thought Jeannie was just another one of Dr. Buss's appropriate uh, associates friends. <laughs> and, oh, you're his daughter. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Again, just to see how the, the show kind of puts its own twist on things and it's based on reality, based on truth. It is very entertaining. Again, it's very fun. Again, yeah. um, you know. Susie, um, my wife, who, my wife, who, who <laughs> my wife. puts this sign out here when she hosts the show, um, knows Jerry West very well. As you know, he's on this program, right? He's yeah. He's been here many times when been she here, gets called calls. in. Yeah. Anyone who knows Jerry West, not happy at all about winning time. Not at all. And um, a lot of former Lakers feel that way. And uh, you could see Solomon Hughes would love to. I, I think you could see the kid would love to. Well, also, I mean, he's I only mean, nine years younger than me. He would love to, he, but also he, to meet he grew Kareem. up right down the street. Yeah. I know Carson and, Carson and Torrance,
0: and like yeah. was a diehard Liker fan growing up. Obviously, being a big guy, Kareem was his idol. Right? It's like you would love nothing more than to have that connection and relationship with a guy you're portraying.
3: I imagine yeah. Quincy Isaiah would feel the same exact way. Absolutely about Magic. I think everyone. By <laughs> way, He's spectacular as Magic Johnson, Amazing. and I have no idea how real it is or whatever, but he is
2: terrific he's a big at star. it.
3: Star. There's gonna be guys,
0: terrific both guys at it. big it. yeah
2: they're they killing this. That's man. one of the things
0: I, I like to do on Monday. There are a few articles who are written, you know, the recaps. Of yeah, the, we both do And this, they yeah. kind of like break down what's real and what's not, yeah. what's twisted, what's a little embellished.
3: <laughs> that's know? what Susie and I do after every, every episode of The Crown. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's I'm fun. serious, we do that. Yeah,
0: it's fun to go back and kind of just see what, you know, what got kind of yep. liberties And then taken. when we
3: find out what's not real and what we
2: enjoy of the show, we're like, oh, damn. I think Chris, one, one of the wildest things from last episode was the whole Phil Knight interaction with magic, where yes. if that's true and no one, I haven't really seen any confirmation, but if that's true, the story they told about Phil offering Magic a dollar per pair and 18 uh, cents a share. Yeah, it was $100,000 100, 100,
0: in options at 18 cents a share. a share. And then like Winning Time kind of does the math that like, you know, if he never sold, it'd be worth over $5 billion. Now, that, that can't be confirmed anywhere. Yeah, but no one's confirmed Magic that, but. has said that Nike it was did, a did money, approach he him and he just, you know, went with Converse.
2: Converse, I think, offered them a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, man. I
3: don't know if magic is uh, you Hurt, know hurting for cash right now. Right now. Hurt. No magic but, is turning one of the greatest businessmen that's ever gone from sports to business. True, but five you billion know? is still five, oh, no, it's
0: five billion dollars. Yeah, it's not not Phil money. Knight eventually got his man. It's all yeah, me, yes. <laughs> He certainly
2: did, didn't he? <laughs> no doubt. And maybe if he gets magic, he doesn't get Mike and exactly. then I'm not wearing these shoes every day. So Fact. Knows what Maybe he
3: maybe Mike goes to Adidas, because that was a story back yeah. then too. So um you know, sometimes you read something and it's different than the way it sounds. I haven't heard it yet. I've read it. I read it during a commercial break during hour two. Right now, it strikes me as a, 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 um, a candidate for soundbite of the year. <laughs> uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, as you know, have made a ton of moves so far since the playing season ended um, and free agency and what they've done and how they've maneuvered around and um, as you know, I say the biggest addition for them will be Doug Peterson, not just because of who but Doug Peterson. Peterson is and what he's done and how he can do it, but just the mere fact that everything, how who he is and how it, what he's done and how he does it is not Urban Meyer. <laughs> that alone will just be a, the, maybe their hugest addition. Then you hear, then you think about, oh, that's right. They drafted Travis Etienne in the same first round as Trevor Lawrence last mm-hmm. year. Didn't have him at all. Kid unfortunately hurt himself in in, uh, in training yeah, camp. Liz, Never played it Liz down. Was Frank? Was Frank? Right. Here, yeah. So he was asked uh, today. I guess he was made available today, and uh, talking about uh, asked if he was glad he didn't have to go through the drama of last season.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: nah, nah, definitely. Just that's just the human element of it. Uh, just seeing the results, you definitely like. Phew. If there was any year to miss, I missed a great one. <laughs> 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 wow!
2: Timing's
0: everything in life.
3: <laughs> is any year to
2: miss.
0: Now, when I saw that on Twitter, yes. man, I was really hoping he kind of said that, like dead serious, kind of like, "Man, I'm glad I missed this one."
3: No, I think this is even better. <laughs> but this is better. This, I mean, if, this it's like if you're producing and you're trying to yeah, direct, yeah, and you yeah, give, yeah, a, yeah. Yeah, give me your, yeah, you, want, just, you might want a different reading from right. Travis yeah, end, yeah, but chuckle I Chuckle. That's bit. the final yeah. one. Yeah. Give me one for you. That's the final one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> missed, missed a good one. Missed a good one. Yeah. Coach didn't fly home, was uh, then stuck around, was in a bar, and in a video got out, and it was embarrassing, and then he didn't apologize until it was pointed out that he didn't apologize. Then he apologized, and then that was after he kicked his kicker in training camp and started telling his head coaches, assistant coaches, they have oh. to defend their resume. <laughs> That was just the first month of the season. So, yeah, Jacksonville, <laughs> it's going to be already, it's a better 2022. <laughs> it's a better 2022. <laughs> and interestingly enough, this being the final segment of our show, for those who might not be familiar with the television world, this segment is called The Kicker. Hey. And I think we just kicked it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sir. And by the way, this is going to keep going on and on and on because every single time Doug Peterson does something and it's successful, for the first year at least, not Urban Meyer. Three words. Ooh. Three words. James Robinson can fumble and get back in the game. <laughs> Just think about it. Trevor Lawrence doesn't have to ask the coach about it. They get ice cream on Saturdays.
2: Oh, yeah. And if you man, want to talk to your coach on the flight home, right. you can. Yeah, <laughs> go over some game plan. Right? Is he up in first? the right. ba- He's in
3: the bathroom. No. Guys, guys, coach, I got guys don't have to have the plays slowed down for them to understand yeah. it.
2: And also, your coach will know about the players on the opposite team, that's like really yes. yes. yeah, Will know we'll, who Aaron Donald, we'll like number ninety-nine, is. Yep. just someone
3: you might want to know. That's good. Yep. Scouting's better. <laughs> <laughs> that's a kicker. Nick Saban's on tomorrow's show. That's a coach.